Anybody have a problem today? Anybody have a problem today? Oh, man. It's going to be a tough crowd. We're not even admitting it in church. Anybody anxious about anything? Worried, maybe? Okay. All right. You know, there's two kinds of worries. There's the kind of worry where that that's, I'm concerned, right? There's an issue before me, and I'm concerned, and I need to... Um, I need to think about it and I need to come up with a resolution. And that's reasonable. And we say, I'm worried about this. We don't, that's all we mean. We're just concerned. That's good. And then there's the other worry. The one that we think about over and over and over. We meditate on it even. We, we, we think about it and we become anxious. And we get to the place sometimes where we just can't do anything but Think about it. We have problems with things like health, chronic illness. It can be it can be something that's popped up out of the blue. We have issues at work. I can't stand my boss. I can't get a raise. I can't get a job. We have issues with our kids. Kids have issues with their parents. And I'm not even talking about, I'm just talking about the adult ones, right? I mean, right? We have family issues that are concerns, that are worries. We have money issues. How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to put away for college? Who in the world can afford college? Um, retirement, what's that? We think about um, my neighbors, their dogs won't ever stop barking. We've got problems. And some of those really make us anxious. And they could be legit. These, you know, legitimate. The problems are legitimate. But Jesus would have a challenge for you today if you hang on to that anxiety because you think it's okay to do that. He would say it's not only wrong, it's unwise. It's not only bad for you, it's sinful against God. Now, I want you to think about these problems because we've all got them and we're all going to leave with the problems. We're still going to have the problems. I'm not going to make your problems go away. Okay? What I'm going to do is I'm going to help you with the part you can't control. Because there's parts of your problem and my problems that we can control. But we don't tend to stress over that as much as we do the things we can't control. And Jesus is going to speak to that. And he's going to speak to it this week using money as an illustration. It's not the point. It is the illustration that he's using because money is, well, it manifests most of our lives. We think about it as the solution to everything. And it's what we fight over the most. And it's what we point to as our problem. Okay? And next week, he's going to spend some more time on it. It's almost like Jesus thought this was a problem for us. You know, these people, they're, they're going to, they're, they're worried. I mean, and back then they were too, right? They were just worried about things like who's going to invade our country next, you know, little things like that. You know, it's been a year since the whole thing in Afghanistan, Kabul airport, Kabul, however you say that. And, and those Afghanis coming over here and only half of them got out. Americans and Afghanis that just wanted to get away from the, the Taliban there and that change. We think we have problems, right? And we do. So, you know, we can point to one family that we know of because we've personally been involved in their lives who went through that nightmare with three kids 
little kids under the age of six left their home, left everything, and ran for a plane and ended up in a, in a European airbase. No, it might have been, it was either Germany or, or Qatar. Ended up in airbase in Virginia combined for months. And God led them to Charleston, South Carolina in our church family. And we've been able to be a, a blessing to them and we've been able to tell them not only who can help you with your problems, but why we're there to help them the way we've helped them. Okay, so God can deal with big problems and God can deal with little problems. We're all carrying our, our list with us, right? Some of them are huge and some of them are small. But the point is that to God, they're all small in that he can handle them. And to him, they're all big because they matter to you and me. Isn't that good, God? That he cares about the big and the small. And that he's given us today in his word antidote for anxiety. The antidote for anxiety. This week, he's going to use money as the illustration. Next week, he's going to use what we eat, what we drink, and what we wear as the illustrations. Okay? He kind of hits us where we live, doesn't he? Don't you love it when God is so practical? I love it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, um, we come needy. We're worried. We're anxious. We have questions. We have problems. Some of us don't even believe that you're an answer to anything. Lord, I pray that you would speak in such a way that each person here, each person watching online, live, or even a recording, that you would speak to them in a way that they will understand that you are real, that you are relevant, and that you are for them. Help me do that and stay out of the way in the process. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're in Matthew chapter 6. It's the last message out of chapter 6. We're still, we're right smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which is chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew. Matthew is one of the 12 followers of Jesus. He knew what he was writing of. He took notes. He recorded everything that happened, and then he wrote it out in a really easy-to-read format for us. So I'm grateful to that. There are five major teaching sections in the book of Matthew. The Sermon on the Mount is the first one. And we're going through it a little at a time. And we're trying to understand what were Jesus' words for us. Why did he give us these words? What good are they? Do they mean anything? Do they matter? And if they do, how do I apply these to my life in such a way that it will not only impact me, which is where we always start, how will it impact those around me? And hopefully for good. So, um, this, uh, this, um, this passage starts out, uh, really the bottom line is this, Jesus' recipe for the antidote, if you're mixing up the antidote for anxiety, three ingredients. You need to bank in heaven. Sorry, Charles. Bank in heaven. You need to keep your windows clean. And you need to make sure you're serving the right master. Okay? And it's all in there. I'm going to show you. I promise. Here we go. First part, we're going to bank in heaven. Now, Jesus says this, and he's talking, remember, to his disciples who are sitting right here. And, oh, by the way, there's about, you know, several thousand people listening in to what he's saying to his followers. And he says this. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on, on earth. Where moth and vermin destroy. Where thieves break in and steal. 
So he starts off with a don't. Don't do that. Don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth. Now, what we hear is don't store up treasure. That's not what Jesus says. Watch what he says next. But store up for yourselves. Oh, okay. Savings okay. Investing and putting away is good. There's a place for that, right? But what is he going to say as far as your investing strategy? Ah, Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, bank in heaven. Okay, what, what, is, what is this? What, what, help me with this. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Here's why. Where moth and vermin do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. So you're telling me that when I put money in that bank, there's no risk? Correct. No risk. Now, what treasure are we talking about? What is treasure? Treasure is money, of course, but it's anything with intrinsic value, okay? It's something you've bought with money. It's something that you've subscribed to with money. It's, it's just anything that you put in great value in that you can purchase, manipulate, buy, sell, trade, okay? It's more than that, but for the purposes of today, I believe this is where Jesus is putting the gross weight of on is that is which when we tend to think of transactional joy and life we tend to think of things we can buy and sell and trade okay and he's saying you have a choice you have a choice to invest heavily in where you are in the here and now or you can choose to invest in the hereafter now that clearly requires faith because who in the world is going to invest in the hereafter if they don't believe it's going to be there when they get there because you don't really even believe you're going there because you don't even really believe that's a real place I get that that doesn't make sense to you if you don't believe that. As a follower of Christ, I believe that the best is yet to come. I believe that this life here and now is just a blip on the eternal line that runs that is the future of what happens after this life. The new heaven and the new earth is a tangible, real, physical place that I will live forever after I'm done in this life. Okay, This life is a drop in the ocean of eternity. That's how small this here and now is. So if you think logically, if I have resources and I'm going to choose to invest them, will you choose to invest them in something that has great risk, a low return on your investment, and you're not going to be able to enjoy it very long, even if you do get a great return, because when you leave here, you can't take it with you. We can't take any tangible rewards. Just ask King Tut, oh wait, Nobody cares about King Tut. We found his gold. That's what we care about because when you go to his tomb, that's what they found. The, to- the gold that he wanted to take with him is still here. Right? There are no U-Hauls behind Hertz's after the funeral. Right? No one's taking it with him. Now, in the little book called Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn, he says it this way. He says, the treasure principle is you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. You can send it ahead. And this is where where I think Jesus is driving home this idea here in in Bank in Heaven. He's saying you can live in such a way that you deposit investment in a place where you'll never lose it and where the return is, well, if I told you I could give you a 100% return, a hundredfold return on your investment, you wouldn't believe me. Especially if I told you there was no risk. And yet that's what that bank will, re- will bring back. And you'll have more time to enjoy it. No one can take it away. Oh, you'll probably give it away because that's what we want to do with what we have in heaven. Okay? And you say, well, what about rewards? Is that really a thing? Should we even be preaching about rewards? Well, we've already done it. 
If you go back to the chapter 6, just the beginning of the chapter, he starts talking about giving to the needy, and he talks about your reward is, if you're doing it hypocritically, that's your reward. If you do it in such a way that only God sees it, there's, you're, you've got a reward in heaven. So you're, you and I, if we're, doing, if we're doing that, if we're praying, if we're fasting, um, you know, you're banking things already for, that are future rewards that you and I will get to enjoy in heaven. Okay? And I don't think we're going to have, you know, golf cart fees. I don't think you're going to spend it on that kind of thing, right? You're going to spend it on something much, much greater, and your riches are going to be much, much more. But that's not the point. You see, why would I invest in heaven unless I believe that there was a heavenly agenda worth investing in? And Jesus has already been driving that point home through chapter 5 and chapter 6. My kingdom is not of this world. Okay, but there is a, his kingdom has arrived, but it's not here yet in full. And that kingdom is eternal. Okay? Russia's not eternal. Ukraine's not eternal. The United States are not eternal. These countries will all fade. This whole world will fade and be replaced with a new one where Jesus is the king of the planet. And it's good because there's no injustice, there's no corruption, there's no war, there's no death. There's no need. There's no racism, right? There's no uh, people stacking at the border. There's no political divides. There's no, um, just you name it. All the stuff we hate to see on the news, it's going to be gone because Jesus will be on the throne, completely on the throne. Okay? Why wouldn't you want to invest in that kingdom? Now, we'll come back to that at the very end. So the first one is bank in heaven instead of earth. That doesn't mean we can't use banks here. Please, I have money in a bank. Okay? I'm good with banks. I'm, well, we, I'm good with putting money in the bank. Okay? Because, that, right, that's how we do business here and now. Okay? But what I don't, what I'm trying to help you see is Jesus saying, don't load up all your future in that. In that. Not because investing isn't wise, but because there's a better investment that the Christ follower believes is there. Okay? Second thing is we want to keep our windows clean. Now this... uh, Oh, and then one other thing on the other. I'm sorry, I left out a verse. So um, he ends this with making... And this is really... (laughs) Darren, you're about to skip the point of the passage. It's about the heart. Okay? Verse 21, right? So he said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay? Where's your heart? And he's going to unpack this a little bit in the next couple of verses. But where our heart is will tell us a lot about what we do. Well, really, you can flip it around. You can say, well, if you want to know the condition of your heart in the eyes of Jesus, in the eyes of God, then just ask yourself the question, what do I do when I have discretionary money? How do I use it? How do I use my discretionary time? Okay? When you take away the things that you have to do, school, work, sleep, Okay, when you have the rest of what you have time-wise or the rest of what you have money-wise, paid the bills, there may be something left. What do I do with that? That tells a lot about what you value and about what's important to you. Okay, this is one reason why giving is more important for you than for us as a church. Okay, okay, our church, careful how you don't hear what I'm not saying. Our church doesn't need your money. Okay. God doesn't need your money. Right? I need to give because I need that. It's good for my soul. Okay? Because it contributes to the reward that I'll have one day, but it cleans the window to my soul. And it tells me where my heart is. Okay? So... Um, When we have needs in our church, we make them known. And there are times when we'll say we have a 
financial need, and if you want to help, that's great. Um, but we're, if you're giving out of guilt, that, please don't do that. Please don't give out of guilt. Please don't do that, okay? That doesn't serve you at all, okay? I mean, we'll, we'll spend your money, but that's not, that's not what this is about. Jesus says it's about your heart. And he knows the heart. Now, what's the heart? According to Scripture, the heart is basically three things. Sometimes it's the spirit of the person. but I mean, it's described as the spirit of the person. But basically, it's the seat of our thinking, the seat of our feeling, and the the seat of our will. Our volition, what we choose to do and not do and why. So motives are in there. So feelings, thinking, and will. Basically, it's the essence of what we use when we make a decision. It's the essence of that. And I want my heart to be where the Lord wants me to be. He created me. He knows. He knows how I'm wired. He knows what I'm created to do and how I'm created to live. All right, now let's, let's look at this. He's going he's gonna to say some strange things here, okay? I think we can clear it up. No pun intended. You'll see what I mean in a minute. Uh, the eye is the lamp of the body. It's strange. It's a metaphor. Okay, work with me here. Uh, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. That sounds good. I like that. And then he gives you the negative. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? How, in other words, how much? How, um, it's, it's a lot. So I always had trouble with this because I'm thinking, I was always thinking, you know, looking out of my eyes, light shining out. And I was like, how does that help my body? But that's not what he's talking about at all. Think of your eyes as windows to your soul. And when the light of God shines in and through your eyes, when they're clear, clean, and open, the light of the Lord fills the spirit, if you will, the heart, if you will, with light. And what does that do? When light comes, what happens to darkness? It's, it leaves, right? There's this law, this physical law in our world that when light arrives, darkness departs. Okay? When you go into a room and you flip the switch on, the darkness backs off. Why? Because it cannot stand in the light. Unless there's a shield that is keeping some of the light away. If you look under your chair, you'll see a shadow. light imagery that Christ is using and uses throughout the New Testament two things at least one is good as opposed to evil okay light represents good okay and we would generally say that if you're in the woods and you're walking down the trail and someone has a flashlight that's good because we don't want to step on the snakes that are slithering across the path in the middle of the night, right? The light is good. But it also represents God, who is good, who defines good. Okay? Jesus said it this way, I am the light of the world. In fact, I want to read it to you because um, it's, and there's a couple of verses here I'm going to read, and I didn't give the guys in the back, sorry. 8.12, John 8.12 says, uh, let's see. People have said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never see. You might trip, but it was there. But we'll have the light of life. 1 John 1. Um, if you're, if you're uh, outlining the book of John, you can outline the whole book of John in three lines. You can say, God is light, God is life, God is love. That's the outline of the book of John. 
verse 5, chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. God is light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And oh, by the way, just flip back one page from Matthew, five to, from Matthew 6 to Matthew 5, verses 14, 15, and 16, and we see Jesus said, others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father light and gladly right and that's why we go to dark places because they need it darkness runs so When he says, the eye is the lamp of the body, he's saying the light gets into you figuratively now through your windows, your eyes. Okay? So what keeps the eye, which I would say is not healthy, kind of the words here, or if there's an obstruction, okay? All right? And I think of my house that means I haven't cleaned the windows in a while, or the shades are pulled, or the blinds are down, or the curtains are pulled, right? And so light can't get in. So light in, well, sin for sure will cake your um, eyes in an unhealthy manner and the light won't get in. Especially, well, when I say sin, I mean unconfessed sin in your life. If you've confessed it, repented of it, turned from it, God removes it as far as the east is from the west. Buries it on the ocean floor and forgets about it, by the way. So that's one thing. Now, another thing that can cloud our vision, the light, letting the light in, I think is less, is less, sounds less bad, sounds better, but it's subtle and it is um, unwise decisions. So there's, there's choices. Sometimes it's just really spelled out. Don't be drunk with wine. That's being drunk with wine is wrong. Uh, so that one's easy. What about just drinking alcohol at all? Okay? And I, I would teach my girls this way. I would say, to be drunk is wrong and it's a sin. Scripture says that. Ephesians 5 is very clear. It says to be drunk, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Don't be controlled by the spirits of alcohol. Okay? But we also know that alcohol was consumed. And so what's that? How do we? So I say, it is permissible to drink alcohol. All things are permissible. Freedom in Christ. But not all things are profitable. And that means there are times when things are not wise. Okay? And so that's kind of how I put it to them. And and life is like that. It's full of decisions. Some are right and wrong, and some are wise and unwise. And wise and unwise, you can choose either one, right? But one may be better for you than the other. Okay? So, So I think wise living... Walk wisely is a theme throughout Scripture, especially in the wisdom literature. Walk wisely um, it would be, uh, will let more light in. So if you and I practice wise living, more light will be in and the darkness will be out of the way. And it will expose whatever's there and then we can deal with it. You see, that's the thing. We, get, we have sin in our lives that we just don't deal. We just don't want to deal with it. It's in the crevices and corners of the heart and nobody can see it and we kind of hide it from ourselves and pretend it's not an issue. And it is the issue. It is a huge issue. And it's part of why you're dealing with the anxiety you're dealing with. 
which gets us to the third point, and really that just drives it home for me. He ends up with this. No one can serve two masters. Okay, now just think stop and just think logically. I, it, it's really hard to try to do that, right? Okay, uh, let's just think about this for a second. Two masters. So we don't have, we're not in a situation where they could relate to slavery because there was some of that happening. You and I don't have to. It's, it's in our world. It's real. It's a problem. We need to be dealing with it. But most of us, it's not an issue for us, right? It's more like, but we do have masters. We do have bosses. We do have parents, right? We have people who are in authority over us. And if you have a job, then you know that depending on how important that job is, that boss has control over you. They can say, you will be here tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. because we have a real important meeting and this is your job and you will be here or you won't have a job and then you don't have to worry about it. Okay? Okay. So if you have a job, you have a boss, okay, there's one. Now, how many of you um, have more than one paid job? That means you have, uh, you have more than one boss. How many of you have more than one job? Very many, okay. Well, then those of you that have two jobs like that, you will be able to relate to this, but let me go another step. How many of you have two jobs and one is not paid, mom and dad, on the job, right? So you've ever had the tension where you have this tension between um, I've got to take care of my family and my job is pulling me away from doing that well? You feel that tension? Okay. Some people have more than two jobs. Some people have three jobs. Some people have three jobs. They are paid to do, right? And then there's those in the military. Talk about a boss that can tell you whatever to do anytime, anywhere, especially when you're on tour or in a war, right? They own you. And we, and yet you still have a family and there's this tension to lead that family. You feel that tension? That's where anxiety lives. So the question is, who's, who's your master? Ultimately, who's your master? All right? Now, um, be careful. I'm not, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? I'm not telling you to quit your job, and I'm not telling you to tell your boss off and all of that. But just let's see what Jesus says here. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, again, money is his example here. It's, it's, it's just one of the best examples because we can all relate to it. And it has so much influence in our lives. Bank in heaven. Keep your windows clean. And you need to answer the question, who's, who's the master I'm serving? Is that the right master? Am I serving... Gladly submitting to him because he's a good God. He's a, he's a gracious God. Or am I serving some other master... And I will tell you, it's not necessarily your boss. It's not necessarily... I want you to imagine that this room, all these chairs, represented um, things in your life. Okay? This room's a metaphor. This is, we're in the heart of you. And, and every one of these seats is a place where somebody is the master of some area of your life. So this chair is the area, this is your, your church life, this is your job, this is your marriage, this is your kids, this is your hobby, you know, on and on and on, right? Every chair represents an area of your life. Who's sitting in those chairs in your heart? When you start taking a look at each chair, who has, who's the master of that area of your life? Is Jesus sitting in that chair? 
Or are you sitting in that chair? Or is someone else sitting in that chair? Who are you allowing? Because you get to decide who sits in that chair. Right? We, this is why we... Or we're just all in on the wrong master. And our windows are all gunked up and there's not a lot of light coming through. thinking about tomorrow. We're not even thinking about next week. We're certainly not thinking about after this life because we keep thinking, well, I can see this life, so I'm focusing on what I can touch. Well, I promise you, the life after this is more real than anything you've ever touched. It's more tangible than you can imagine. Because the veil of sin is not there. So I'm going to end with this story, this analogy, this example. This, I think, really helped me put it into focus. And I credit Randy Alcorn in that little book, Treasure Principle. It's a short book. Even people who don't know how to read can read it fast. Okay, it's really, really short and good. And, and it drives home this treasure point. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. So here, here's, the, here's the analogy or the story. And I'm going to um, make it a little more personal for us. Okay, I want you to imagine that you've been offered a new job. And the new job will pay you ten times what you're making now. Tax-free. Okay? You're going to make ten times whatever you make now without having to pay any taxes. Okay? Now, there's a couple of caveats. One is you have to move to another country to work. And the third... You're moving to a country where things are actually cheaper. Let's just say... Actually, I I don't know that that's true because I've never been to the Philippines. Let's just say it's the... speakers there and there's some more but there's good work there and you're you're responsible for finding a place to live you got to do your transportation you got to take care of your food you got to take care of yourself but you're going to get paid 10 times what you were making and here's the thing you you can send as much of that money back home to your bank account as you want but you can't take anything you buy with you when you leave anything you buy in philip in the philippines stays in the philippines okay that's the rules okay it's my story. I can make them up. All right? So, you're about to buy a house. Here, you're making 10 times what you're making. You could probably qualify for a house 10 times bigger. You're going to get a bigger house. You can afford it. You could probably buy a house cash. 12 months, you're going to be there. Probably not going to buy a house unless you can make it work financially better than a rent. Okay, and then I get it. Financially, but you're going to do, uh, you're probably going to do what makes more sense financially. Car, are you going to buy the dream car only to have to leave it behind 12 months later? Nah, you're going to send it ahead so you can buy it here, right? You're going to send that money ahead. You're going you're gonna to walk, ride a bicycle, use a taxi or a rickshaw, bus. You might buy a rent a car, or you might buy a car that you can turn around and make pretty much all the money back, but you're not going to spend a lot unless you can get your money back and you're confident. Why? Because you're not going to be there for very long. It's temporary. You're not going to buy the big screen TV because you're like, I'm not going to be here long. I'll look on my phone. going to be temporary. I'm only here for 12 months. And that's smart. 
That's wise. That's thinking. That's logic. Now, let me change two variables in the story and see how you feel. Instead of it being the Philippines, it's where you are now. And instead of it being the America being back home, it's heaven. So now where you live right now is where the Philippines were. That means that you're in the place that's temporary. You and I live in a world that's temporary. Our life is as long as, it's, as God gives us. And compared to eternity, like I said, drop in the bucket. And yet we live as if that's everything. We spend as if that's everything. You see it? Instead of sending it ahead where it's going to be where I can enjoy it forever. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Because we're trying to live with a foot in both worlds as if they're both equally important And they're not. It's not even close. The reason this world matters is because we make decisions here that impact there. For us and for others. So this world matters, but it's temporary. This is spring training for the rest of our lives. This is the preseason, and heaven is the season. This is kindergarten, and the rest of our lives awaits us. And when you and I believe that to the core of who we are, we'll change how we spend our money, we'll change how we spend our time, and we will invest in the kingdom and not in ourselves. I just believe that. Jesus is telling us that. And when we get there, here's the great, great news. Anxiety will evaporate. I'm not saying you won't have concerns. You're going to leave with these problems. They're real. I'm not making light of them. But here's what we do. Here's what we do when we get caught up in this life. We take a problem and we meditate on that problem. And we focus on that problem. And we're looking at that problem and we talk about that problem. And it gets closer and closer and closer and closer. And we talk, and it's all we're talking about. And people don't want to even talk to us anymore because all we can talk about is ourselves because we have no capacity to think or talk about anyone else. And soon it gets so close that we can't even see the sun itself. Get it? We can't see the sun in the sky and we can't see the Son of God because our problems have become so big that everything else just fades in the background. And it doesn't have to be that way. You can walk out of here with a different mindset. Casey talked about an attitude. The Beatitudes are Christ attitudes. That's what they are. And you and I can walk out of here with a resolve to be different in how we think about life. And when your thoughts line up with God's word, then faith begins to intertwine with that and our behaviors change. You see it? It's amazing. So amazing. It doesn't surprise me that at the heart of his manifesto for his kingdom that he tells us things like this. So I can't wait. Next week, listen, if you're looking for an opportunity to invite someone next week and say, do you have stress in your life? Do you have anxiety in your life? We're going to talk about this antidote thing again next week. And you're going to see how he handles it using the basics of life to make the same point. Okay? If you're not in Christ, I get it. 
this may not make any sense yet. But don't quit thinking. Use your brain and look for God because He is revealing Himself to you even right now. Okay? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Daddy, thank you for the wisdom that you've given us through your Son, Jesus, today. It's challenging me up to my ears because I know I don't live consistently like this and that's why I experience anxiety in my life. And I don't know about anyone else, but I am tired of letting anxiety rule my life. This world is temporary. Help us believe that the kingdom of God is not. That you are calling us to you to a place that is forever. Where the best really is yet to come. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to to hear that truth. And give us the courage to examine ourselves and to repent of the sins that are clouding our eyes keeping the light out, to, to push away unwise living and decision-making so that the windows will be clean, to resolve that you are our Master and Lord and it is your agenda that matters and therefore we would seek to bank in heaven above all else. And use our brains. This is not trick, trick stuff. This is, this is truth. And the world is saying anything but. Give us the courage to face it and to put it into practice in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The cross is where the power comes from to do that. Okay? The cross is where the power comes from us to do that. Jesus died on the cross to defeat death. Okay? What did it require for Jesus to defeat sin and death on the cross? It required him to make a decision that was not based on the temporary. In other words, he didn't live to save his life. He willingly gave his life because he believed, right? He believed. And Jesus, the man on earth, had to believe. He shows us how to follow using our faith, walk in faith, okay? And he was so willing to do it. Are we there? I'm not. But I'm, I'm aiming for it. I'm walking in that direction. And when I get knocked down, I get back up and I get on. I start going again. And I believe you want to do that too. And God is giving you the power. But it comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe he died for you, then how in the world are you going to have any courage and faith to live for him? Okay? We sing about things like the blood of Jesus because it's what, it's what unlocked death. So we celebrate every Sunday we have the Lord's Supper. piece of bread represents Jesus' body that was beaten before he even got on the cross. They beat him to within an inch of his life, and then they made him carry part of the Roman cross up the hill as far as they could, and then somebody had to help him. And okay, suffocated and bled out and died. Okay, and that's why we drink the, the grape juice to remember that he, he didn't just pass out. He didn't just appear to be dead. He died. 
willingly, obediently. And he calls you and me to know less. He says, come and see, come and follow, come and die. Some of you are at the come and see part and you're good and that's cool. That's where you are. Some of you are at the come and follow and you're working on that. And some of you look at the come and die part. And some of you have stepped over that line. You've said, I've already decided I'm willing to live and die for Christ. Okay. That's not an easy decision to come to. All right. And then there's those of you who are standing there and you're looking at any one of those three callings that Jesus gives us in the New Testament, whichever one you find yourself at, ask yourself the question, what am I living for if I'm not living for him? Stand. Musicians, if you'll come, if you'll go ahead and stand. Your chance, this is where we respond, and you just respond honestly before God. They're gonna, we're going to sing a song. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. You don't have to be a member here to do that, just a follower of Christ. In good standing, repent of your sins, and then come and remember the price that was paid so that you and I could walk freely in Christ. That's what this is about.